63, Proverbs 23, and we're going to and Psalm 73. And you can leave your finger in Proverbs 23 and Psalm 73. It's very important that we look at the scriptures regarding the message this afternoon. And uh, we'll go before the Lord in prayer. And then we'll have this message this afternoon. I pray that it would affect your heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we come before you, Father, this afternoon. And we thank you, dear God, for your word. Father, we thank you that your word is forever settled in heaven. And Father, it is true from the beginning. Father, we know and understand from your word that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. We thank you, Lord, that every fulfillment, every promise, every jot and tittle be fulfilled. And we thank you, Lord God, that we have uh, your word that is forever. Uh, and uh, it's not changing. It's settled. And uh, we're so thankful that we can anchor in uh, your word in an unchanging world, uncertain world, and a world that always is shifting. So, Father, today we ask and pray that you'd get a hold of us from your word, that we may get a hold of you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 23, and look at verse 17. Let not thy heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. For surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. He says, for surely there is an end, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. In Proverbs chapter 23, we see the Proverbs, or the wisdom of Solomon, given to him by God, admonish us to not lose focus. I want to share with you this afternoon, just a simple sermon, and not to lose focus. We live in a day where Christians are losing focus. Their eyes are shifting, if you will, and looking around with what's taking place in the world today, and they're losing focus. It's almost like they've lost their bearings, their spiritual bearings. They've been taken. I mean, if you look in the Scripture, even in the New Testament, we see... Uh, admonition time and time again to always be focused and looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our life. We are uh, prompted to lay aside every weight and sin. There are many things that try to distract the Christians from living their Christian life. But over here in our passage, we see first and foremost the command given to the Christian to not envy sinners. It says it very clearly, doesn't it? It says, let not thy heart envy sinners. That's the command. The command is given to every single believer that claims to know the Lord, not to envy sinners. The command only proves that believers are susceptible and have a strong tendency to look around, see the ungodly, prosper, see the ungodly, continue to live without persecution, and therefore we can be envious because of their lifestyle. And the Bible says, don't envy the sinner. Don't envy those that are living without God, in other words, those that are ungodly. Don't envy those that are simply living their lives without the word of God. 
Because you understand when you're living your life according to the Word of God and you're doing the very things that God wants you to do, life is tough. It's hard. That's why the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, endure what? Hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And don't be entangled with the affairs of this life. See, the sinners, the ungodly, those people that are prospering in the way, living without God, are entangled with the affairs of this life. Anything that makes them comfortable, anything that makes them healthy and wealthy, anything that just simply causes them to uh, live a life without God is a comfortable life. But you know what? The ungodly, you don't expect more than them, do you, from them? These days, Christians are falling by the wayside. Why? I believe they're losing their focus. I believe they're fighting more for their comfort and liberties, more than standing up for the gospel and the truth of God's word. Some Christians are sidestepping persecution. You look around today and you see the world is willing to be persecuted for their liberties. What about for the Lord? What about for the word of God? You see the people fighting for their rights. And again, I'm not you know, against people fighting for their liberty. I'm not against people fighting for their freedom of speech. As a matter of fact, you take away our freedom of speech, we won't be able to preach the word anymore. But what about the uh, God of the word? Standing for him and standing for what's right and living our Christian life. And the moment you do that, my friend, you'll be persecuted by a lot of Christians are looking to the world and seeing how they're uh, succeeding and their comforts. And the, uh, and, uh, and the Bible clearly says, don't be envious. Now, I want to just use Asaph as an example here today. Asaph was a godly man. He was a song leader. He was a man that was leading God's people in the worship. And he admittedly uh, simply said that his foot almost slipped. He almost went down the slippery slope. Why? Because he lost focus. I want you to see it in Psalm 73. Look at Psalm 73. I want to use Asaph as an example this afternoon. A godly man, a man that loved God, was susceptible in going down the slippery slope, drawing back, backsliding, if you will, because, listen, he lost focus. Christians, we can lose focus. And the Bible says very clearly, don't let the sinners that are prospering in the way mar your vision. You look at them and you think, wow, look at the life they're living compared to the Christian that is trying to live up to the standard of the living God. Don't let sinners tempt you to veer away from this book. Asaph gives us a little example of his life. Look at, if you will, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. You know what? From the outset, Asaph wanted to make it clear that God is good. <laughs> Amen. God is good. Right from the beginning, he wanted us to know in the beginning of this psalm, although he had problems and although he was tempted and although he had some doubt, he just wants to make it very clear that God is good. No one's to, if, if you want to blame someone, blame uh, the sinners, blame the selfish Christian, but don't blame God. God has always been good. You know, we live in the world today is always blaming God. Always blaming God. But let me just say, God has been good to us, even in the midst of trials. Look at verse 2, but as for me, he said, that's God, God is good. He's always been good to his people, but as for me, 
So I thank God for Asaph getting it straight from the beginning, amen? God is good, I'm the problem, amen? We're the problem. People are the problem, sin's the problem. Hey, God's not the problem. See, look around in the world today and they blame God for everything. Why don't you blame yourself or why don't you blame your sin? Amen? So over here he says, look, verse 2, but as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Why? Verse 3 is the answer. Have a look at verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. His foot was slipping from living to the expectation and the standard of God's word. Why? Because he was looking at the prosperity of the wicked. He saw the way they were prospering. He saw the way they were just advancing and the way they were living and their comforts. You know, when people live without God, when people enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, by the way, it's for a season, but sin is pleasurable. When you just dig your heels in as a Christian and just really want to stand for what, what is right, want to live uh, according to God's word, listen, at the end of the day, it's hard. Like I mentioned before, in the beginning, it's hard. But he's looking at the prosperity of the wicked. He's hey, they're getting away with things. They're, 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 they're not being persecuted. They're not being pursued. I want you to see how they live. He actually explains to us, and we're talking about the prosperity of the wicked. Perhaps if he's looking at those that are in authority, those that are just simply rich and healthy, uh, perhaps not the common uh, you know, unbeliever, not those that are just really doing it tough as unbelievers as well. They also are being oppressed by the rich and mighty and those that are in authority. Who would ever think that our government will be where it is right now? Pursuing and oppressing. Who would ever think Australia, out of all countries, would be under the leadership of tyrants in the name of health? And we love you and we care for you. You know what happened last week? A group of, or a handful of people trying to worship God in a, in a house were met with seven police officers, one of them a sergeant, another one a commissioner, four police cars. You're kidding me? And we drove up just Minmai Road, looked to the left here, and Minmai Pub, and a whole heap of cars. Whole heap of cars in the car park of a pub. And uh, just a small handful of people trying to worship God in a house. Who would ever think Australia? Well, this is the day that we're living in. But notice these rich, these people that are in authority, these people that have power, these people that have money, these people that are just simply living it up. Notice he says in verse 4, for there is no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. This is what Asaph is, is looking at these people that are prospering in the way, living in luxury, got power, position, prosperity, they're prominent. There's no pain in their death. They seem to have a painless death. In verse 5 he says, They are not troubled as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Don't seem to be facing the trials of life or be troubled. 
They don't seem to be suffering like others. They seem to be trouble-free and comfortable. Comfortable. In verse 6, Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. They walk around boastful, prideful, with their power and their position and their authority. It says here that pride is around about their neck. They walk puffed up. But notice what he says in the second part here. Violence covereth them as a garment. In other words, because of their power, they oppress others. They just really, you know, fitted in a garment of oppression and violence and pursuing the innocent, pursuing those at least uh, that are godly in the way. I mean, this is the day we're living in. And uh, look at verse 6, therefore, uh, sorry, verse 7, he says, Their eyes stand out with fatness. Uh, they have more than heart their heart could wish. You know what he's saying here? Their eyes bulge out with abundance and they have more than their heart can ever hope for or wish. They are living in prosperity. They have whatever they dreamed of and they're just living it up. And look at verse 8. They, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. In other words, these people are corrupt. They're wicked. They're unjust. They show no mercy. Adam Clark said regarding this, he said they vindicate or support excessive acts of government. They push justice to its rigor, extreme, merciless. They're absolutely merciless. No mercy. Look at verse 10. Uh, sorry, verse 9. They set their mouth against where? The heavens. And their tongue walketh through the earth. So they curse and blaspheme God and their tongue walketh through the earth and they persecute God's people. So in reality, these kind of people that are prospering in the way, they're just really ungodly people. They're not for God. You know, what we see today, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. What's taking place today is this. The devil is always after God and his people. And what you see today is just innocent people in the crossfire. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. So these people that speak lofty, these people that set their mouths against God, blaspheme God, persecute his people, these are the ones that prosper in the way. They're against God. And in reality, they're against God's people. These people that are fighting for liberty, these people that are just simply standing and, and protesting are just in reality, are in the crossfire. The devil's always been against God and God's people. And God's always sought to seek after men to repent and turn to Him, to be godly in this wicked world. They blaspheme God and they mock His people on earth. But look at verse 10 and 11. Therefore His people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out of them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Look at verse 12. Behold, these are ungodly. See, even our text proves it. 
These, you know what ungodliness is? Everything, listen, that is against God. And what we see today are people that are in authority, whether they know it or not, whether they are deceived and deceiving, whether they are ignorant or arrogant, they are against God and His people. The ungodly. And the Bible says, who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. Notice the way he doubted. Notice Asaph, I want you to see this in verse 13 to 16. Notice his doubt here, at least he's honest. And we're talking about a godly man here, a song leader, a man of God doubting in the midst of, of, of an ungodly people. Why? Because his focus was marred. Listen, brethren, every single one of us, if we are looking to the world or looking to these authorities or looking to people that are just slippering and sliding, living outside of the book, compromising and just bowing down on every whim, listen, we'll perhaps even have a heart like Asaph. Have a look. Verse 13, he says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. He says, For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I, you notice and understand his persecution. If you want to live godly, you'll suffer persecution. Every morning he's plagued and pursued. There's no rest. Why? Because when you try to live the Christian life, there's always a battle taking place. Notice verse 15, he says, If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy, you know, of thy uh, children. You know what he was afraid of? Being a bad influence upon others. He was afraid that his attitude and his doubt and his position and his, and his backsliding and his focus and the way he spoke and the way he perceived things, he was afraid that he would be a bad influence on others. Listen, let me say something to you today. If you don't want to live the Christian life and if you don't want to fight the good fight of faith and, uh, and, uh, and, and you're afraid and you want to look at the prosperity of the wicked and your vision is marred, you're better off shutting up than to discourage the Christian that wants to live according to God's Word. There are a lot of Christians that are just backsliding and lost their focus, doing a lot more damage to the church of God than the unbeliever. I believe that with all my heart. But Asaph says here, he says, if I say I, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend, be a stumbling block. He knew that his doubt and his perception and his vision was marred and he would be a bad influence. Thank God for his honesty, amen? <laughs> but I want you to see verse 16. He says, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Know what, Asaph? Know what? That the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? When I think about the prosperity of the wicked, how they get away with murder, how they get away with, uh, uh, you know, just living the way they want to live. And here we have Christians suffering because they just want to live up to the standard and the word of God. But notice verse 17. It seemed 
for him too hard to comprehend. But there was one thing that he did right. What did he do? Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then, then understood I their what? End. If we go back to Proverbs 23, go back to Proverbs chapter 23, leave your finger there at Psalm 73, but go to Proverbs 23 again. And have a look at verse 18. Verse 17, back it up a bit. He says, let not thy heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. Look at verse 18. For surely there is an end. There is an end. Did you know there's an end? And Asaph said, not until I went into the sanctuary of God, I realized their end. What's he saying? Although they live ungodly, although they live out of the uh, uh, realms of the Word of God, although they live and they do whatever they want to do, one day they're going to face the consequences of living without God and living without His Word. There is an end. And Asaph realized that. If you go back to verse 3, have a look. He says, when I, when I, he says, I realize their end. Look at verse 3. He says, for I was envious at the who? Foolish. Did you know it's absolutely foolish to live without God? Did you know that it's absolute foolish to live outside of God's Word in our day to day? It's a foolish thing. The psalmist said, the fool have said there is no God. And I guarantee you the majority of Christians will profess to know that there is God. But the de devils believe in God and they tremble. It's not what you believe here. It's how you live on this earth. You know, a lot of Christians believe in the God, but they don't live like they believe in God. You say, why? They don't care for His Word. Ungodly people don't care for God's Word. They want to do what they want to do. They're independent. They want to live independently. Well, that's what the devil wants you to do. That's what he wanted Jesus to do. When Jesus was trusting the Lord in the wilderness and trusting God and fasting and prayer and the devil came and tempted him, he says, hey, uh, turn these stones into what? Bread. He was getting him to depend upon his power, his strength. And Jesus said, no man lives on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, there's an end for people that live without God. They're fools. He says very clearly, I was envious at the foolish. And he goes on, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, envy not thou the sinner. They're foolish. They're wicked. Listen, Christian, you're not supposed to be foolish. You're supposed to be wise. You're supposed to be righteous. And the grace of God that bringeth salvation unto all men teaches us to live godly, soberly, godly and righteously in this present world. And to live godly is to keep His word. Look at verse 18. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou cast them down into destruction. Look, listen, destruction's coming for these people. He says in verse 19, how are they brought into desolation? 
as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terror, they will not know what hit them when the Lord comes. When the Lord comes, He's coming with vengeance, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey the gospel of our, and, and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 20, look at this. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. You know, their prosperity is like a dream. One day, their reality is going to hit. Yes. One day, they're going to just realize how foolish that they've been to live their life without God. But it's going to be too late. Too late. The Bible says, surely there is an end. Surely there is an end. But notice, I want you to see not only the command and the caution, but I want you to see now the conjunction here. It says very clearly, let not thy heart envy sinners, but the conjunction, what? Be thou in the fear of the Lord. But I want you to see this. The conjunction is very important. We saw the command, the command is not to envy sinners. We saw the caution that the sinners that live without God are foolish and they're wicked and there is an end. Destruction will come, judgment will come. But, but brethren, this is the admonition. The conjunction is our admonition. It is our encouragement. And the encouragement is to be in the fear of the Lord. Yesterday, we were giving out gospel tracts and the police officer came and he tried to just contend with us regarding our approach and how we're reaching people and, and accusations left, right and center. We've heard them before. And I just simply said to the police officer, Sergeant, I said, look, I fear God. And his eyebrows went up and says, you fear God? Like I'm, the way he was thinking that I fear God, like as if I'm afraid of him and I'm running in the other direction. No, I'm not a sinner uh, that is, is rebelling against God. I'm a sinner that's been saved by grace and running to God. What he doesn't understand is when I say I fear God, it means I respect and revere God. I love God. I honor God. I glorify God here on earth. I submit to God. I obey God. He's my master. I, I'm his servant. I follow him. That's what it means to be awe of God. Not to fear God like I'm running, oh, I run away. No. We run and we bow before him in the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's a good place to start. Would you rather fear God or fear man? You, you can go and fear man all you want, but the Bible says the fear of man bringeth a snare. You're going to be crippled, trapped. But whosoever putteth their trust in the Lord shall be made safe. That's what the Bible says. I'd rather fear God than fear man. That doesn't mean we disrespect man or authority. No. The protesters that threw things on the police officers and, uh, and, 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 and did what they did, I'm not for that. God's not for that. We're supposed to honor the government and police officers and submit to them. But there is a higher authority. When, our, when the higher authority says, go, stand and speak, that's what we must do. 
when he says, go and praise me among the heathen. That's what we must do. Go and preach and teach the gospel. Every creature baptizing him in the name of the Father. So that's what we must do. We must obey a higher authority with all respect to our under authorities, under God. But over here, the conjunction is to be in the fear of the Lord and to be in the fear of the Lord is a wise disposition. Notice what Job said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, listen, that is wisdom. <laughs> That's what he said. You want to know what wisdom is? Fear God. Be under God's rule, His subjection. Be under His authority. Submit under His word. And then he says, The fear of the Lord is pure and stands forever, according to the psalmist. Psalm 19, verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. It's clean. It's pure. It's healthy. Two, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. According to Proverbs 18, 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. You know what the fear of the Lord is? Is to hate what God hates and love what He loves. Number three, the fear of the Lord brings protection. It brings protection. In Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence and His children shall have a place of refuge. Amen? You want your children to be uh, simply uh, safe, having a place of refuge? It starts with you to fear the Lord. There's strong confidence there. The Bible says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, fear God, honor the Lord, put Him first. God will look after you. He always looks after His people. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord brings security. In Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know what David said? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because He is with me. Praise God for that. Amen. The fear of the Lord is true prosperity. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor <laughs> and life. That's true prosperity. Listen to me. You don't have to have a dollar to your name. But if you fear God, you are prosperous. You are rich. But you can be a millionaire and live without God. And you're the most miserable person on the face of the planet. You can mark it down. The fear of the Lord is the duty of every man. That Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What is it? Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment. With every, every secret thing, whether it be good or bad, he'll, or evil, He'll bring it to light. Fear God. Do His work. Keep His word. Number seven, to fear the Lord is to remain in His presence. Psalm 73 and verse 17, the psalmist said, Until I went into the sanctuary 
of God. Then I understood their end. The sanctuary. It's a place where God's presence is found. Listen, brethren, I'm going to wrap it up now. I'm wrapping it up soon. Don't miss this. The fear of the Lord is to remain in His presence, to have sweet fellowship with God. This means we do not grieve the Spirit of God or quench the Spirit of God. To grieve the Spirit means you have unconfessed sin in your life. To quench the Spirit of God is to live a faithless Christian life. Not submitting to His Word, not stepping out by faith. For us, the presence of God is the Spirit of God within us, leading us and guiding us. That's the presence of God. In the Old Testament, they had a temple for His people. In the New Testament, God has a people for His temple. And if you want to remain in the presence of God, then you must continue to submit to the leading of God through the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. That's the fear of the Lord, to make sure that I'm in tune with God, that the Spirit of God is not grieved, that I'm listening to His Word through the Spirit of God that dwells within me. Having God leading you, my friend, despite what's taking place and despite of all odds is the greatest testimony of God's grace in your life. Moses said, Lord, I want your favor. And God proved that his favor was upon Moses by the way he led him in the wilderness. God's favor and grace will be upon your life when you submit to his leading. His leading in our life is the most important thing that we can ever have. It's the fear of God. He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, I realized therein. You know what Mardi's vision? You say, oh, it was the prosperity of the wicked. Yeah, it was, but guess what happened? He was out of the sanctuary. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He, he, he was far from God. This is why later on he says, it is good for me. We see it. it's in our text. Have a look. It's in our text, verse, nine, uh, <clears throat> verse uh, 26. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall what? Perish. Thou hast destroyed all them go, that, that go a-whoring from thee. Look at verse 28. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Amen. Hey, listen. If you're going to go on that slippery dip, it's because you have left God and His Word and you begin now to see the prosperity of the wicked. But when you come back in the presence of God, when you get your face into God's book instead of Facebook, then you'll be able to see the glory of God and the work of God and how God wants us to live here on earth as Christians. You say, but if I live like a Christian, I might lose stuff. Yes. Read the book of Acts. I might go to prison. Yes. Read the book of Acts. I might be persecuted unto death. Yes. Read the book of Acts. Your first century Christians were Christians that understood the presence of God in their life. And God, and God help us to come back and realize God's presence in our life to stay close to God and His Word. He says, until, until I went into the sanctuary of God. 
I realized their end. I realized their end. He says, draw near to God. Trust in the Lord. Declare all his works. What a blessing. That's where you want to be. You want to be close to God, trusting in the Lord, and being a testimony among the heathen. Amen? That's what God wants for every single one of us. When we move away from the Lord, that's when things start to creep in. When we take our eyes off the Lord, that's when we begin to sink. Just ask Peter. Ask the Hebrew writer. But when we go back and put our focus on the Lord, we can really see the true reality of a Christian living his Christian life in an ungodly world. What causes his loss and focus when we move away from God's word. One more passage and we're done. Have a look at Psalm 119. We're going to lose focus when we move away from God and his word. I guarantee you. Asaph saw the prosperity of the wicked because he moved away or drew away from God. Not until he came back into the sanctuary of God, he realized their end. It's good for me to draw near to God, to put my trust in God, not in the prosperity of the wicked, not in the world system, but in God. And it's good for me to declare all that God has done. I want you to see Psalm 119. You cannot separate God from His Word. A lot of people want to uh, spend, spend time in the Word. That's good. But the Word of God is not just a textbook. It's God and His Word. And a lot of people want God, this higher power, but without the Bible. You can't. You've got to have God and His Word. You've got to have the Word and you have God. They go hand in hand together. Amen? So to draw away from God is to draw away from His Word, from His will, from His way and from who He is. How? How does a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to what? To the prosperity of the wicked? No. How does a young man living in this wicked world cleanse his way? By taking heed to thy word. What's taking heed mean? To live out the word of God. It's not enough just to know the word of God. Got to live it out. Live it out. But it's hard. It's tough. Yeah, live it out. Live out your faith. Preachers, live out what you preach. How? By taking heed doing what you know, doing what you preach. Preachers preach about the coming end of the last days and perilous times. And yet they cower in their room. They don't stand and speak and proclaim. Why? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. How should the young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Oh, I've got the Word of God in my hand. I follow by obeying the Word of God. I'm just clean. Just clean. It cleanses my way. Okay, Lord, this is what, how do you want me to live? This is how, okay, there's going to be a lot of obstacles, a lot of things coming my way. Sins in my life that God wants me to cleanse. I confess it, forsake it. God, help me. Uh, we have a lot of hurdles and a lot of pushback, a lot of temptation, fear, persecution. Just cleanse. 
Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? I seek God's word for it. The word is God is good. The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to the word of God. Just go, just clean. How? By living out the word of God. Living out what you know, what God wants you to do. So how do you slip? How's your vision marred? Easy. You can preach all you want. You can have your Bible studies all you want. But if you don't live out the word of God, nothing's going to happen. You're just going to be a stale Christian. You're going to be a Christian that sits and learns and has a big head and a little heart. We need Christians that will have a big heart, not only a big head. They'll live out what they hear from the word of God and they'll shine. Let your light so shine before men, not in your home, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's how we're supposed to live. We're salt on earth and salt penetrates. Listen, the command, don't envy sinners. Don't envy sinners. Look how they're living. Yeah, they're living without God. The caution, there's an end. There's judgment. The conjunction, be in the fear of the Lord. How often? Sometimes. Ah. Uh, a couple of days after hear this sermon until you get persecuted no be in the fear of the Lord listen all the days of your life that's how God wants us to live Christians I plead with you with wisdom with wisdom the wisdom of God don't lose focus don't lose focus. May God give you grace. Don't be foolish to take heed to the ways of the world and envy sinners. Take heed to the ways of the word and live for God's glory. There's a cost. There's always been a cost. There's always been a cost to live out the Christian life. We're not exempt Christians. People want to go back to the book of Acts and say, give me the first century Christianity. Give me the great awakening. Listen, my friend, you can have the first century Christianity in any generation if you continue to fear the Lord. That's what it is. And that's a good start, and that's a good finish. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.